I'd like to welcome our first sponsor to the official Do Good Better podcast, and that is DonorDoc. Listen, as a nonprofit, DonorDoc knows that you wear many different hats, and that's why they are here to help you make your life easier. DonorDoc helps you connect with your donors on a deeper level and provides you with the tools to become the ultimate fundraiser. There are other instantly cool features too, but we know connecting and staying connected with your donors are high on most of your priority lists. Hey, guess what? DonorDoc is so awesome, and I'm telling you, so awesome, that to everyone listening, they are giving you a 100% discount off your first month. That's right, 100% off. It's absolutely free to use for your first month. All you have to do is use the referral code DOGOODBETTER, and you're set. Again, do good better. It's simple. It's easy. Head to DonorDoc.com to learn more and get started. Hey, thanks, DonorDoc, for being an official sponsor of the official Do Good Better podcast. Yeah, one of the things we wanted to figure out is, what is the level of shame and stigma? So we did a survey in our state, and nobody else has ever done this, to measure the level of, of stigma, because we, we, you know, we knew... You know, we couldn't, unless we had data, you know, we couldn't really tell if we were making any progress. And so, you know, we learned that 63% of the people in our state believe that addiction is a disease, which I thought was like incredible, really. Wow. But it still means that one in three people believe that addiction is a choice. So we still have work to do. Your organization is awesome, but sometimes you want to be even awesomer. It's time to get your fundraising on with your host, fundraising expert and author, Patrick Kirby. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the official Do Good Better podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Kirby. And of course, we talk with uh, small nonprofits, medium-sized nonprofits doing great big things. We're kicking off the second season a little different this time because we've got an incredible guest for you today. Um, I would uh, maybe classify her as uh, sort of notoriously curious I think a, a lifelong learner. She's a cat mom to a cat that uh, I believe is 18 years old. Congratulations on that. She's a horse mom of a horse that's 28 years that's old, 23 years Well, we're going to get to that in a second. An old horse. This is kind of a crazy thing. Uh, she also happens to be uh, heavily involved in uh, recovery reinvented and recovery in the state of North Dakota. Oh, and as a sidebar, she might be the first lady of our state of North Dakota, Catherine Bergham, welcome to the official Do Good Better podcast. Thank you so much, Patrick, for having me. I'm so excited to have this opportunity with you today. I am uh, super excited, and thank you so much for being a guest. And I figure we should probably start from the start. If somebody has been living under a rock, or they live in a part of the country that thinks the Dakotas is one state, why don't you tell the audience who are flipping through some of their favorite podcast channels who you are, what you do, how'd you get to the place where Catherine Bergham is? Well, okay. Um, well, it's, you know, interesting journey. And, um, you know, I would probably sort of call myself a, an accidental first lady. <laughs> I like that. But, you know, because certainly it was never on my radar to, to have this role. Uh, but I'm really grateful for the opportunity. Um, I, uh, you know, had a, had a fantastic life. Uh, and then, um, you know, my, uh, boyfriend, now husband, uh, came home one day and said, uh, I think I'm going to run for governor. And I was like, oh, what? Uh, that's scary, you know. But, you know, it's been incredible, you know. I mean, it's sort of like just just when you think you have your life planned, 
you know, some door opens and you walk through it and you have a whole new life and whole new opportunities. And so, you know, just be being flexible and being open to what the sort of universe has to offer is, is a good thing, at least in my belief. But, um, so, you know, uh, when I became first lady, I have first partners, you know, people choose platforms, you know, like, what am I going to do? You know, what, who do I believe I maybe could help? And, and, um, Prior to becoming first lady, I'd never talked about my own recovery publicly, uh, and it and it was just like okay, now is the time. Uh, in fact, five minutes before I did my first newspaper interview as first lady, I told my husband uh, I'm going to talk about my recovery, and he was shocked, you know, and super supportive, and you know, and then I sort of you know walked through that door and um, and and decided that 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 could be one way maybe that I could by sharing my story, you know, help others and, and help galvanize and, you know, motivate people to, to do the same. Uh, and because that is one way that we can help eliminate the shame and stigma of addiction. And specifically, you know, my focus is eliminating the shame and stigma of addiction because that's what holds people back. It holds people back from reaching out for help, holds families back, holds communities back, you know, and it's just, uh, it's a disease and, you know, we can talk more about that, but, you know, there's, there should be no shame and there should be no stigma. So here I am today, you know, um, uh, you know, hopefully, uh, well, I'm almost at the end of, uh, of our first term um, and, and, and so grateful for the opportunity to, to you know, uh, experience everything. I mean, I've been invited to the White House, you know, because when I first started talking about my addiction and recovery, it was, you know, at the height of the opioid crisis. And um, because I was open about my own story, I was invited to the White House to participate in a lot of discussions around that topic and around addiction and recovery. And, and so being able to do that and, and being able to, um, and there, there might be someone joining us here. Um, well, there he is. Uh, this is my uh, 18-year-old cat, <laughs> Mr. Gray. Say hello, okay. buddy. Yeah, he, he likes two, to. It's a two for one uh, guest uh, podcast experience. It is, right. I, I'll try to, hopefully, he won't dominate the conversation. But, um, <laughs> but anyway, so, uh, you know, again, you know, back to the opportunity and um, <clears throat> also have been able to connect with just so many groups in our state. And uh, a lot has sprung up as a result of that. And, and really, you know, we're a nonprofit, you know, trying to make a difference. And there's a lot of people involved. So I'm just grateful at the bottom line in the end of the day, just grateful every day. Yeah. Well, you said something interesting. And I think that's uh, what I love about recovery reinvented is the idea that a lot of it's based on eliminating a stigma. And, uh, and you know, well, that we live in the Midwest, which is uh, for the, for those listening in other States, we have a, a tendency uh, to uh, tell people to just to buck up. Or uh, hey, it's as, this is not really necessarily an issue. There's a mindset here that that when when it comes to addiction, there's that uh, sort of um, well, you just you know, why don't you just fix it, or why don't you just sort of deal with it? And 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 how do, how do you start that conversation, or how do you start tweaking people's mindset that this is not necessarily a hey, buck up and get over this and just stop it know this is an addiction and how do we begin to have that conversation? I find that fascinating. Well, I completely understand that because I thought the same thing, mm. you know, I thought I can have enough willpower. I mean, I could achieve any goal that I set for myself, you know, uh, in, in, you know, whether it was running, you know, half marathons, getting an MBA, you know, getting job, you know, all that. 
but I could not stop drinking, you know, and I relapsed for eight years. And finally I realized, you know, that it's not about willpower. It's about, I have a disease, you know, and I need to be treated like, like I have diabetes or I have heart disease or whatever. It's not something you can just wake up and say, you know, okay, today I'm not going to drink, even though my life is crazy and I'm miserable because it's, it's a brain disease. Yeah. And that's what I tell people, you know, um, now, because I, I, I completely get it. Uh, once I figured out I have a disease, nobody would choose to relapse for eight years and be so miserable and, you know, and, and, and to lose so much in your life. So that to me is the biggest, the biggest thing that changes people's minds is when you can really help them understand it's a brain disease and it needs treatment just like any other disease. And it's, you know, ultimately fatal without treatment. Um, and so that's, you know, that's the, you know, talking about the science behind this disease is so important. Yeah. And I think, I think just having individuals of, of your status talking about it um, sort of um, helps others who might not have that platform to go, oh, if somebody of this, you know, sort of magnitude of, of you know, celebrity in, in the state is talking about this openly. Maybe I can have a conversation with my family, with my individual friends, and that kind of helps. And I think that's the power where your your platform gives is that ability that people go, okay, I'm just like X, Y, and Z person, or I'm just like this. I, I didn't know. I thought I was alone. I think we we tend to think of ourselves in a bubble. We don't think anybody else is experiencing the same things we're experiencing, and it turns out that we are. And right. uh, and, and that relatability to somebody who you would have never thought you would be relatable to is now addressing their steps, concerns, and and really challenges openly. And I think that really has a benefit across the board. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I just got a text yesterday from someone who said, you know, my son went to treatment and oh, by the way, I'm in recovery. And, you know, I didn't know that I've known this person 10 years and I, you know, so it's, it's just, uh, you know, the number of people it is changing in our state, you know, people are talking more about addiction and recovery. You know, one of the things we wanted to figure out is what is the level of shame and stigma? So we did a survey in our state and nobody else has ever done this to measure the level of, of stigma hmm. because we, we, you know, we knew, you know, we couldn't, unless we had data, you know, we couldn't really tell if we were making any progress. And so, you know, we learned that 63% of the people in our state believe that addiction is a disease, which I thought was like incredible, really. Wow. But it still means that one in three people believe that addiction is a choice. So we still have work to do. And, and it also helps us kind of define which groups we need to be getting more involved with. And one of those groups really is corporate America. You know, how can corporate America play a role in helping to eliminate stigma and creating more recovery-friendly workplaces? And that would include nonprofits also, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, it's, so, it's so funny that I think the, the corporate America, because, you know, I don't know what the numbers are with individuals who have addiction, and you probably have that. But if you are a business that has 100 employees and you have a handful that have addiction issues, what are the costs to having that employee leave? or have something happen at work and then replacing that individual with the amount of training and X, Y, wouldn't it be better benefit to you as a business owner to address these things up front so that you don't have to have these extraordinary costs that you are not intending on having, but then you got caught flat footed because you didn't have a plan together or a realization that there are options to make sure that you're getting ahead of the game and addressing that with employees in stressful work environments, right? 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, there are statistics out there, you know, there's 23 million people with a disease of addiction across our nation and 70% of them are employed full time. So there's a, there's a company called Shatterproof. It's a nonprofit started by a guy who lost his son to addiction. They actually have a calculator on their website that corporations can use to figure out what, how the disease of addiction is impacting my specific company. It's very cool. I'd recommend anybody check it out. But that is where we find this information about, you know, how many people are addicted and how, you know, and that's why it's so important. 70%, that's why it's so important because it's not just that person having the disease of addiction. It's their family members. You know, you've got a mom who's going to work every day and, you know, they're, her daughter's homeless because she's struggling with addiction and she's worried about that all the time, you know? And so having the opportunity to have, you know, places to talk and places to share and, you know, even separate groups, you know, where people can meet and have lunch and learns, you know, it just creating this opportunity to just talk about it. Like it's a, it's diabetes or any other disease is so important. I will ask this uh, question very sarcastically. So I just okay. want to start this off. I'm going to ask this is the most sarcastic question I will ask you. Okay. But why recovery reinvented? Every human being is the same. I don't know why you would just have one flat sort of solution for everybody with the same background and same, you know, age range and same situation in life. Why would you need to reinvent uh, something as so simple and uncomplicated as recovery? <laughs> simple I, and uncomplicated. Man, you nailed it. You nailed it. <laughs> uh, you know, Okay, well, here's the thing. You know, of course, everybody's different. There's lots of different roads to and paths to recovery. People find their recovery in a lot of different ways. You know, but the thing is, the reinventing part is really about taking a different look at recovery. And then, and in my opinion, it's sharing stories, telling stories to help eliminate the shame and stigma, yeah. because. You know, that is people can say, oh, yeah, that's great. Somebody else is doing it. You know, but people, you know, there's a lot of people I know that are in, you know, public, you know, positions that's that won't talk about it still because of the stigma and the shame. And so, you know, we've got to reinvent how we look at the disease of addiction so that we can eliminate the shame and stigma. And so that's really what we've been focused on is, you know, what are the different approaches? How can we work with different groups? You know. I, w I spoke at the um, FM Chamber of Commerce um, at their eggs and issues breakfast. Mm -hmm. and, and so what I do is in those environments, I talk about the disease of addiction. I talk about how important it is to share stories. And I ask people to stand with me. I get emotional at, at those events mm -hmm. and say that they're in recovery, which is really hard for people to do, but people do it. And then they feel like a big weight has been lifted off their shoulders, you know? Mm -hmm. And then people support them instead of hiding this. So that's a different, that's a completely reinvent. You know, I went to, I spoke at a, um, uh, you know, at a, con a tech conference um, uh, in, uh, 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 in um, D.C. And, mm -hmm. you know, same thing. Um, and, uh, it's, uh, Amazon, it was an Amazon conference, you know, and I, same thing. I asked people to stand if they were in recovery. And so I can't really do this work and say how important it is yeah. without asking people, 
to do it, you know, to stand yeah. with me and, you know, to, to really execute when I'm actually meeting with people and, and it's working, you know, more people are understanding how important that is. And that's a reinvention because that doesn't happen in corporate America. <laughs> no, not at all. Is, is there some, is there something about the nonprofit world and their sort of natural uh, tendencies to be entrepreneur like that makes their partnerships or partnering with those organizations uh, effective for this sort of idea of reinventing the idea of recovery or, or, or the boots on the ground sort of thing. I'm, there, I, I've always seen, and again, there's a lot of recovery nonprofits doing such good work uh, here in, in, in our community for sure. Um, but is there something because they understand either individual cities and townships um, a little better than maybe the government does that allows nonprofits to be easier and quicker to pivot on things and ideas that kind of come up uh, than sort of the government as a whole? I mean, how do you, how do you perceive that? Because I, I love the idea that you are a nonprofit because I, there's some swiftness, I believe, that you get the ability to do rather than sort of the machine that takes a long time to sort of chug along and change. That's right. Yes. You hit the nail on the head. You know, nonprofits can be, you know, they, they usually are started by people with a passion to fill a gap and help people or help, you know, in different ways. And they can be nimble. You know, they're innovative. They're, they're flexible. You know, they usually think way out of the box. And so they're not likely to start something that's already being filled by government. You know, North Dakota, we are extremely lucky because we have the North Dakota Behavioral Health Team led by Pam Sagnus. Yeah. And, you know, we are doing things that no other state is doing. Like, So we're the envy of the nation, especially related to behavioral health, mental illness, and addiction and recovery. Mm-hmm. And so we they're filling a ton of gaps. But we have so many other groups across our state that are working really hard to do things like, you know, provide housing for people that you know, are, are in between, you know, they need a place to stay so that they can um, get their life back on track before they, you know, head out into the world, you know, and, and we've got people that are helping people get out of prison, you know, when they, when they first get out of prison, helping them find a place to live and a job and get their driver's license back, you know, and so there's a lot of nonprofits out there, but, you know, and, and they have the ability to raise money quickly to get, you know, to fill the gap and, and, and service those that are in need. And so I think you hit the nail on the head. It's an entrepreneurial opportunity. It's usually those people with a passion for filling a gap and solving problems. And that's why it, it's a great, it's also incredibly important to collaborate with government yes. to help, you know, fill those gaps because there's an opportunity for a, a, a financial, you know, injection that can help as well. So for us, you know, when we, when we started, since I'm a volunteer for the state of North Dakota, I'm not an employee for the yeah. state of North Dakota. This is my volunteer job, which I love. <laughs> and when we decided to do the Recovery Reinvented um, event the first year, we knew we partner with the state of North Dakota. We, we partner with them every year, the behavioral health team. Um, but there are some things that they can't necessarily do or spend money on. So then we, um, you know, that's what we do. We fill that gap. So that we decided that we needed to be a non a nonprofit to be able to do that, and then the governor went even further and said, you know, because we we knew that this needed to be important. People needed to understand how important this was to the administration, to to my husband and I. So he created by executive order the Office of Recovery Reinvented, 
you know, which is, which, you know, is, is an incredible thing because that does not happen in other states. You know, there isn't, you know, an office created solely to focus on, on recovery. And Jenny Olson, an ex Microsoft employee, heads up that office. And then um, we've got Joey, Joey Ness on my team, you know, so I've got a great team of people that are really focused on this. And, and then we partner very heavily with DMS and uh, Dakota Medical Foundation and, and lots of other groups to, so many, many people have supported this effort and we're so grateful for those people that, but you know, it's just like corporations, different groups, different nonprofits, who is not affected in some way and some way by the disease of addiction. So it's kind of easy for people to step up to the plate and say, okay, I'm going to get behind you to help make a difference in our state and even across the nation. It's, it's one of my, it's one of my favorite sort of how can the government and the nonprofit work hand in hand because the nonprofits have people power. The government's got sort of, we understand where the gaps are and we can sort of help financially and sort of give some structure to some of those things. And, and I think that's why it works so well in North Dakota because we have this sort of entrepreneurial mindset in the state in general. Um, yes. And then just at that trickling down to the nonprofits is super fun. And I, and we could talk about the sort of recovery reinvented and all these things a night and day. I love it, but I I think there's uh, there's way more uh, interesting questions uh, to ask, especially this one. <laughs> I know you might not have gotten asked this a lot, but <laughs> you know, recovery reinvented is like your big thing. But do you have a as you know as Catherine Burgum, do you have a big hairy audacious goal outside of the realm of recovery, or is this your true north mission? And this is all your got your focus on for the for the future. As it as it holds, or is there some other thing that you know? Not that you're going to solve recovery, but you're you know well on the way to sort of putting it in the right direction on, on a lot of things. Is there a big, hairy, audacious goal? We asked this a lot of our nonprofit friends who are interviewed on there. Um, what is that? Right. Well, that's a that's a great question. Um, you know, I I am always going to be focused on helping and doing what I can to eliminate the shame and stigma around the disease of addiction until there is no shame and stigma. Right. Um, so that's, you know, that is always going to be my goal. And I've been, you know, the, the other goal that I've had, which is again, something I never really thought, uh, would be something I'd be focused on. And it has been part of my mission is, is, um, to collaborate with native Americans in our state Mm -hmm. who, um, who are, you know, native Americans across the nation are most adversely affected by the disease of addiction. I'm also on the board of Hazel and Betty Ford. Mm-hmm. You know, I am, uh, you know, we need to, uh, uh, you know, um, in my role on the board, I bring that to their attention quite often that, you know, we should be really targeting the groups that are most significantly affected or adversely affected. But through this work I've been doing, I've been lucky enough to have people reach out to me from um, the, the Native Americans across our state, from the various tribes and say, hey, let's work together. And, and I'm happy to do that. And some of them have like taken in, incredible steps. Like MHA, for instance, created this, this really great thing called the door, which is a, um, which is a, a recovery community center basically. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and so they're focusing on doing what they can um, uh, at, at where they are to help the, the people that are close to them in their communities. Um, but in my opinion, in general, you know, I have, like met with the assistant secretary of Indian affairs, Tara Sweeney in, in DC. Um, and uh, you know, the topics around recovery uh, and, and treatment and, and the disease of addiction, but there, there's so much more, you know, there's, there's so, I believe that 
It has to be nonprofits. It has to be local governments. It has to be people that are um, that really are that care and are passionate about helping people in general. Mm-hmm. Just you know, whether it's a homeless population, you know, whether it's abused women, whether it's you know abused children, you know, those they're nonprofits that step up to the plate to help those groups. I'm sorry, but Native Americans are. We don't talk about you know that that you know that how much people don't know that the average lifespan is 55 years old. That, so there, there is in, in the state of North Dakota, that's the true story. You know, average lifespan across the nation is 75 years old. So it's not just, it's children's programs. It's opportunities to be engaged in, in a lot of other things, you know, that they're, you know, that the hundred year old system is broken and doesn't provide that opportunity. So that is an area of focus. And so I'm also thinking about, I mean, I, I'm actually want to do a start a podcast. I used to do a lot of speaking, <laughs> right? So I'll be, uh, you know, calling you up for some consulting on, Done. you know, how to, Old. how to do that. <laughs> but, you know, because I, I'm lucky to be in this position where I have, you know, the title of first lady in front of my name where I, I won't be able, to, I may not be able to, I, I should say, I may be able to get people to engage with me on a lot of different topics, even outside of recovery uh, and, and addiction and treatment. Um, and so that is really the path I see myself going on next. And I'm not sure what, it kind of depends on who the people are that I interview probably in terms of what we will, but you know, I follow a podcast like Dax Shepard, you know, and Mm -hmm. who's a guy that's in recovery, very open about it. And, but he talks to a lot of different people and, you know, sort of a pulse on what's happening across the nation. You know, there's always addiction and recovery. So I love that approach, but, um, you know, so I am, uh, you know, I, I know Dr. Drew pretty well. I know, you know, I've been able to engage with a lot of different people and at yeah. a lot of different levels. So I'm really excited about that. And because, you know, I won't be, I was doing a lot of speaking, you know, with groups and that, that whole model is going to change. So, um, so that's where I see myself going next is, you know, working on a podcast. And so, you know, I'll be going to like podca- podcast training 101 to, you know, see how I can get my game on with that. <laughs> I'll subscribe right away. That, I, okay. I promise that one. And I, and I think, and I think in this, in this uh, medium, um, you get to talk to a whole bunch of people and you realize that uh, regardless of title or position, we all have the same sort of issues and fears and, and trials and tribulations. And I think this humanizes a lot of people that you don't think you relate to kind of back to our original kind of conversation was like, how do you use your platform to sort of, uh, reach out to people who don't think that they connect with anybody else. I think that de- that this um, as as connected as we are on the internet, we seem to be less connected on sort of the haves and haves nots. Me- like like mentally, I, I don't think I have enough, or I don't have this or that. You have a conversation like this with other people with with different backgrounds and personalities, and you realize you're just the same. And especially, you know, this pandemic has really been the great equalizer on everybody's affected by it. And so people can now relate on a level that they don't think they related to prior to. It's been like the great pause in our society to say, what do we value the most and how do we relate to each other? And I think maybe that opens up some doors that I have some of those conversations with people that they, that they might not think that they get to talk to or relate to, which leads me to another question I have, because I know a lot of nonprofits listen to the show and, and, uh, and people of influence is always something that they're trying to get, you know, sort of a hold of and, um, to not do it creepily 
is a very difficult task. And I know that, you know, people who, who have, um, who have influence and who have, um, you know, sort of connections are always asked for other nonprofits to do something. Oh, can you help us here and here and here? There's too many. You can only select a few. How does a nonprofit entity, not necessarily to you, but how does a nonprofit entity have that conversation or, or begin the process of addressing or meeting or hanging out with someone who is in a position of influence and, um, and connected? Right, right. Well, obviously, you know, you do your homework to figure out what is the connection and why would this person be interested in what you are trying to accomplish, mm-hmm. you know, and I think the other thing is you really got to get your act together. You know, you can't, you got to have a good, you got to really function like you're a smooth running machine relative to a business. You got to have great transparency, you know, great leadership, but you, you know, you need to, you know, function like, you know, you need to really focus on the financials, you know, what's the, you know, and, and because I think that, uh, the best that you can do is is um, is sort of create an opportunity for you to work yourself out of a business almost as yeah. a nonprofit. You know, yes. how can you have this? You know, have that opportunity. So <clears throat> when you have your ducks in a row, that's really important. And again, you know, when you can connect with someone, you know, obviously a compelling story is is interesting. But the other thing that I think that you could do is people's most valuable asset is their time. Yes. So, so how do you create a model that doesn't suck up a lot of people's time or doesn't cause them to have to go to an event where they, you know, and a lot of people, I mean, a lot of people are very social. They like that. They want to go to an evening thing where there's, you know, auctions or there's live things and a lot of yelling going on and things like that, (laughs) that I don't particularly, but, you know, but how do you, you know, not yelling, but you know, that that there's, you know, or you got to change it up, you know, like, you know, how do you, how do you create an opportunity for people to make very quick decisions that doesn't take a lot of time, you know, and now we have that opportunity because we are such a a more connected world through zoom. You know, I've been um, in the last three, since the pandemic started, I do a lot of recovery support meetings and I've been able to do a lot of those on zoom and that has really revolutionized people being able to connect with each other across the world. There's 500 people on these meetings across the nation, you know, across the world globally. And that could spur the idea that how do we use that model in a fundraising opportunity, you know, that creates, you know, uh, 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 it doesn't take up a lot of people's time. It creates, you know, push button opportunities to just donate right there. You know, there's, you know, so I think that's a, uh, that's one thing that, that would be, you know, that, you know, Hazel and Betty Ford too, you know, even our model of delivering services and treatment to people is, you know, that, that model will change significantly because not everybody needs inpatient treatment. Not everybody needs to go to. So again, it's, you have this delivery mechanism that everybody's grabbing onto because of the pandemic. So how do you utilize that to save people time, help people make quick decisions and, and really engage them in your, in, in your passion and what you're trying to achieve. I really like what you said on the top of that too, which is, and I don't think we talk about it enough in the nonprofit world is do your research. It's okay for people of, of, of influence to say, no, I'm not interested. And it, you're not under any obligation as any donor of any size to just give because you think you need to. Uh, it's, it's, it's finding 
it's connecting the dots from a nonprofit to say, all right, what do I know or how can I learn something about my potential donor that doesn't have anything to do with the size of their wallet or checking account? Because if you know something about them that is intimately connected to your mission, that has, I think that has way more benefit for a long-term relationship than just gimme, 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 gimme. And so my, my challenge to nonprofits always is know something better, make a connection that, and, and be authentic about it. Don't be like, I'm going to do this because I'm going to get money, right? Don't do it because you're genuinely interested in people. Go back to that Dale Carnegie principle of a be genuinely interested in, in other people. Because so I think that's going to make the long-term human connection that's going to allow them to be interested in the other things that you do because you're just there connecting from likes and dislikes and loves. And, and that, that, I think, to me, is the best route for, uh, for, for helping out navigate these worlds of influencers as well. It's kind of, you know. For sure. And the other thing that you, don't, you may not think about is even if that person doesn't have a direct connection or a passion uh, on your topic, they may know somebody else yes, and they may say, you know what, you may want to connect with this group because they're doing great work. They're doing, you know, they've got great data, you know, they've got X, Y, and Z, they've got their ducks in a row. And I know you're passionate about this, you know, so you never know what the connection can be. And I think you'll never know unless you have conversations that are something outside of we need money, we need support, we need this. And that, I think that is just the most critical point. And again, you're like you just said, time is the most valuable resource people have now. So how do you how do you make it invaluable for I love having a conversation with this person or I love reading about this person I will take the time out of my day to do so because they just genuinely are I'm I'm genuinely interested in them as a relationship builder I think that that's brilliant brilliant advice um, I uh, I tried to come up with for this particular issue because I've had you on the uh, the books for a couple of weeks and I've been so excited about it. And I know you probably get interviewed by a number of people in a number of different states and magazines and podcasts and everything else. So I tried to come up with a question that I guaranteed you've never been asked since taking office as our first lady. And the question is as follows, Catherine Burgum. It is a very important question. And I think everyone needs to know this. What is your favorite 90s boy band and why? <laughs> Uh, so, I, I want to know if anybody's ever asked you this question because I want to be the I, in the show notes. That's uh, what I'm going to do. Yeah, no, no one has ever asked me that yes. question. Yes. So good, good on you for uh, finding one that's you know never been asked. Yes. And you know what? <clears throat> I was not particularly interested in boy bands in the '90s, but let me tell you, Madonna in the early '90s was super popular. Yep. She had a video out you know, in a song called Vogue, you know, where you're like, mm -hmm. everybody Vogue. Yep. And then um, the Gin Blossoms was a band, um, kind of more early 90s, yes. a Tempe, Arizona band that I loved. And I played a lot of guitar back then. So I knew a lot of their songs. And I used to jam with a guy back then. Um, but, you know, the Macarena was also, you know, oh. A, oh, yeah, who doesn't know the Macarena? But that's when it started, you know, in the early 90s. So, of course, that was all going on. But you know what? I've become a boy band fan um, of the Joe Bros, the Jonas oh, Brothers. Yes. I actually, I went to their concert last fall. I never thought I would ever do that, but I love a lot of their songs. I watched a documentary on Netflix, and that's how I even learned about them. So I went to, I decided to go, actually went to this concert by myself in Florida. I was there for something else and, um, you know, almost got trampled by thousands of, you know, 15 year old 
uh, girls, but it was, I felt like I was 15. It was very fun. Uh, it was very yes. exciting. So, but I love music in general. I always have Spotify going, always have music going, you know, it's music is a huge part of my life. It's uh, a, a place to escape. And so it's so fun to have all these different ways to listen to music these days. So yeah, good question. Good, good one. I like, I like the answer. And there is not a better bop in the world than Sucker uh, by Jonas Brothers. My kids sing <laughs> all the time. So you make, that's the universal song that we can all agree upon. This is really great. I like that. Um, I'm, I'm so excited for you to be a guest. I was so uh, grateful for your time. But I can't, uh, can't leave this uh, interview without sort of setting the table. Um, if there's individuals who are, who are listening, who are watching, who have giant sacks of money under the bed, and they want to make maximum impact in their community, um, how can they donate to Recovery Reinvented? Where is that money going to be used? And how much of an impact can they make by supporting you uh, and your organization to do amazing work in the recovery world here in North Dakota? Well, great question. Thanks for teeing that up. But, you know, recoveryreinvented.com is our website. There are ways to donate there. And let me tell you where the money is going. So we're working on Recovery Reinvented 2020 now, which will be our fourth event. It's all virtual. Woo! So, you know, it's free. Everybody can attend. And oh my gosh, when you can attend by just, you know, turning on your computer, how cool is that? And, and then we have access to incredible speakers because, you know, they just zoom in and, you know, we're able to show them live. And, um, and so we are doing that again. We'll have a few people in the audience, but, you know, because of social distancing, it will be almost all. And, and, you know, we've, in the past, even before the pandemic, we've had up to 1,500 people, um, you know, in attendance, you know, online. And we have watching parties and viewing parties and people get together and do that. So, um, but that's all a cost. I mean, I was initially like, oh my gosh, it'll save us so much money to do this online. But, you know, in, you know, not surprisingly, technology, there's a cost to that. And, and to really do it well and to do it right um, and so we still have those, those costs, you know, we, some of the speakers, we still have those costs we have. Um, so that's what the money will go to really helping us to create, um, a recovery reinvented 2020. That's really going to blow people's minds and, and really help it this year. It's going to be focused a lot on, um, on mental illness, the intersection of mental illness and addiction, which are so co-related and co-mingled. Uh, we're always going to focus on shame and stigma. We're going to talk about recovery, create, create recovery-friendly workplaces. Um, we will have certainly a focus on Native American um, addiction and recovery. It's always just a, you know, such an important topic. And so we, um, you know, a lot of great. We're also going to talk about um, ACEs, acute childhood experiences, and how that is, you know, a predictor of who um, you know, gets severely affected by the disease of addiction and mental illness in their lives. Um, because if we can focus on helping children, um, in schools through behavioral health counselors, so they can work through their anxiety and their depression and all these things that are a result of their childhood experiences, they can avoid having, um, you know, those, uh, and struggles down the road. And so I believe that we can stop that cycle by pre creating resources and opportunities for young people in schools, 
you know, grade schools and high schools to be able to work through these things. So that's another area we're going to focus on. It's going to be great. And, you know, we're always going to have our, you know, I didn't want it to be from the beginning, your typical conference, you know, I wanted it to be TEDx like, you know, it's kind of a fast pace, a lot of different talk, but we've added this um, opportunity for, for music and art and culture. And we will have those things as a part of this as well. So it's going to be great. So that's, if anybody wants to make a donation, you know, that is where the money is going to go to recovery reinvented 2020. Well, I love that because you're, you're fundraising to make sure that this is free for the majority of everyone else so that they can experience this too. And I think exactly. that's the, the impact there is so great is that exactly. there's no financial barrier to understand what's going on and what the things are and what schools can bring to early intervention in their own classrooms or their own, uh, or own programs at school and especially done virtually. I think that's a, that's a really great stuff. We're kind of being at home and we're looking for things to do, you know, with their kids and then how to deal with that maybe when schools aren't necessarily in session the entire time. And, and how do you deal with that mental health stress on kids that leads to the, I mean, it's just brilliant. And I think that's what makes this uh, so whole piece of the thought of recovery reinvented, the idea that we can think differently about this, decrease the stigma, but really be creative in our entrepreneurial spirit here in North Dakota. A yes. wonderful thing that you should donate to. And of course, we'll have all of those links in the show notes. So get out that giant sack of Thank money you. hiding under your bed and go donate it right back to Recovery Reinvented. And that would be super great. Catherine Happy Burton, great. thank you. I want to say one oh, yeah. more thing. You know, yes. when we do these conferences, we don't sort of just download a bunch of stuff and go, okay, do with it what you will. Mm-hmm. We actually have people say, and we have specific directions. This is what you should do next. Personally, this is what you should do next in your, in your, where you work. This is what you should do next in your community, step by step. Because, you know, if you sort of leave a conference, you don't have any goals and you don't, you know, you're sort of like, okay, uh, yeah, oh yeah, that's right. I learned that. But you never really implement something. So I think that that's really important to so look for the, you know, very specific ideas and direction for what to do after recovery reinvented to help people that are struggling either in your lives or in your community. So thank you so much for, uh, recoveryreinvented.com. Everyone can go there to register or donate. We would uh, be so grateful for both. (laughs) We will push as hard as possible, make that a reality. (laughs) Catherine, thank you so much for being a guest on the official Do Good Better podcast. The first guest of our second season of the podcast. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. Uh, thank you so much for all you do, uh, all the impact that you make and, and really just being a champion and out there sort of helping others, uh, do good in this world. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Patrick, for all you do as well, you know, guiding all those nonprofits out there that, you know, need some leadership and direction and support and motivation. Uh, You know, you're helping make a huge difference across our state with uh, the work that you do. So thank you so much. Awesome. Virtual high five. Yes, we did it. There are countless videos, books, articles, and folks out there with suggestions on how to raise more money. Of course, that's a major problem. Too much information. Do Good University has an online library of lectures, courses, and trainings that concentrate on one thing, making fundraising simple. Come join other like-minded do-gooders who are looking to unclutter their fundraising life. Enroll at Do Good University today at dogoodbetterconsulting.com.